0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. As I mentioned, the lighting of the joy candle is a shift in Advent. Um, it, just because we light a candle doesn't mean it shifts. <laughs> right i mean the the point of of a visible celebration here is is a reminder to us that it that it can shift um it's it's a it's a mark in time where we can say i'm i'm going to shift um you know the the uniqueness here of of connecting back for for uh, how many centuries Fifth, 6 17 centuries or so um is in somewhat a borrowing of the faith of those who've gone before us. Um, I mentioned uh, a couple Sundays ago that Advent begins the liturgical calendar for the church year. It is a beginning. We, we come to this time of the year as an ending, right? And, and many times limping to the finish line, right? I mean, because busy and hectic is busy and hectic regardless of if it's good or hard right? It, it still, it kind of takes the same kind of emotional energy out of you where you say, I'm just kind of glad this season is over, <laughs> right? And, and, and yet in, in the foresight of centuries, it's, no, this is a beginning. We're celebrating a beginning. So let's get our minds wrapped around the idea of celebrating a beginning. And um, so this is more than a mood. This is a shift of our thinking as it relates to the end of our our year and this morning about joy. C.S. Lewis had this to say about joy. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. That is a significant statement. It's a very weighty statement. He said it in the context of looking at the grind of life. That, that life is a grind. It, it is stuff we have to do, we have to get through, and, and he uses joy as a frame of what heaven would be like. So, so he says that in the moments of dance, in the moments of happiness, in the moments where everything goes right, in the moments in our life that are like that, he said, that's joy, All right? Now, we know if I drew... A couple mountains here, we would I could be able to show you, and I'm just I'm not a graphics guy, so I'm just you're gonna have to just play with my pictionary. Um, at at the beginning of journeys up mountains, there's always kind of excitement, right? There's an excitement for the journey, of things we're looking forward to, and then there's the the kind of euphoria of getting to the top, right? And then there's the realized, and he said those are moments of joy in our life, but so much of our life is spent in the middle of that, right? In the well. It's no longer fun, now it's hard. Well, now we get to see a little bit of the fruit of our labor, but only for a little while, because now we're coming back down, right? And so, and so what C.S. Lewis is doing is he's saying, this is your life, and yet those times of dance, those times of, of, of refreshment, that is what heaven's going to be like. All of heaven's going to be that way. We get glimpses of it now. But in heaven, this is going to be all of that. So this is why he says joy is the serious business of heaven. And here's the point. At Advent, it is a reminder that we can get to experience the joy of Jesus in the waiting for the joy of heaven. I'm just seeing if you're catching up to me, because so far we 're at the same place we were when we started this morning on joy to the world, and there was very little joy going on in the house all right um, and it, but if we if we can 't if you and I can 't figure out how to live in the joy of Jesus until there 's heaven, we are going to miss out on a whole lot of joy yes, that's right. right and and so and so advent then becomes. The season that was, was framed and packaged, if you will, that's the phrase we would use now. We would say it was a, it's a packaged season in celebration. Here's candles I bought in a packet. I literally bought Advent candles. But it's for the purpose of locking us into some ancient truth that is a present reality that still has our eyes focused on the future. Wikipedia and Webster both define joy as an expression and as an emotion. And no doubt, joy is an expression, and no doubt, joy is an emotion, but Christian joy comes with a depth that circumstances can't can't plumb. Christian joy is sourced and anchored in the receiving, in the living in, and even in the announcing of good news. Joy doesn't erase the grind, the hardship, and the heartache. It carries us through it. It carries us through it. Christmas carols are great uniters. From the muted tones of Silent Night to the jubilant sounds of the song we began with joy to the world, Christmas carols have an unexplainable way of of being able to bring people together. There is a story that somewhere along the lines of the Western Front in World War I, German soldiers who had Christmas trees shipped to them placed trees outside of this trench warfare, and on Christmas Day began to sing Christmas carols. Joy of the world, Silent Night, at least Silent Night was one that was documented, that was sung. And American soldiers came out of their trenches and foxholes, and German soldiers in the middle of World War I had Christmas together. You can look it up. Gifts were exchanged. I'm wondering, what do you, like they weren't, like no bows, right? So what does a soldier give another soldier? You know, I mean, here's my band. I mean, here are people that, that, were, that were, I mean, mortal enemies. And yet here comes this ceasefire. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, war wide. It popped up on the section of the Western Front. Because here was Germans and Americans at the war that was supposed to, right, end all wars. And yet there was something about the message of Christ. There was something that cut through all the political drama, all the ideology differences. And here were just men and men singing about the risen Christ. One of the most well-known Christmas carols is the one we sang, Joy to the World. But in reality, it's, was it wasn't a Christmas carol. It's an old hymn. Uh, in 1719, Isaac Watts published a unique hymnal, a collection of hymns, um, made through the Psalms, seen through the, 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 the lens of the New Testament. Okay, So Psalms is rich with Messianic prophecies. And so what Isaac Watts did was then he, he, he interpreted these psalms through their already fulfilled promise and wrote songs in relation to that. And this particular one comes out of Psalm 98. The power of the psalms, you wonder why? I, I read the psalms a lot. I t- I, we talked through it last summer and I said, um, I don't always understand them because I'm not very good at poetry. But there's something to me about reading a psalm that has always brought some level of calmness to me. And they're not always calm psalms, right? But to me, the value of the psalms comes through David's experience of of telling us very present realities. God as deliverer, as refuge, as strength. As peace. He tells us some very real things that he's experiencing in Christ as he's experiencing in God as he writes them, and yet each of them point us further out into the future. All right, the power of the Psalms come in the promise, and it comes in the promises that are going to be fulfilled in the Messiah. So joy to the world is Psalm 98, and, it, and it's based around, or at least the the, um, the title comes out of verse 4, where he says, shout where it says, shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth. Now, when I read this, I'm going to read the, it's only nine verses. I'm going to read the psalm, then we're going to break it down. But when I read the word salvation, I want you to think Jesus. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's amazing around Hebrew and Greek words how they look, some of them look very, very much alike. And the, and the Hebrew words for salvation look very much like Yeshua. Okay, It's also a foreshadowing, a pointing forward to Christ. So when, when you see salvation... It's also a reference to Jesus. Here's verse one. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation, Jesus, known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation have seen Jesus of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of ram's horns, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So stanza one tells us that joy is secured in the actions of God. Joy is secured in the actions of God. All right, this is what he says. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done what? Marvelous things. This is David recounting this. I sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has done marvelous things. His joy is connected to the actions of God. His right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Past activity. David was a unique man. He was a strong warrior, but he had a worship spirit. He was an uncommonly faithful and a prolific poet as well. He was spiritually reflective, and he could kill you with his bare hands. What what a unique trait you wouldn't necessarily put together. And and this this is David. This is what makes him up. He had seen God use his music to calm Psalm, to, to calm King Saul, And he had seen God deliver him through his actions in many different settings. He was a humble man. He was was humble that God chose him, that he was the least of his brothers, and yet he becomes the anointed king. David had seen God's work in his life and in the nation of Israel from all different vantage points. And all those different vantage points brings him to writing a song that can only be read with joy. He believed that that salvation warranted a joyful response. And I'm telling you, we need those reminders because I don't know how many times we engage our salvation, if you're a follower of Christ, with the joy of the Lord. It's something we walk in or walk through, but there needs to be, right? And I'm glad there is a season of reminder that our response to the salvation of the Lord, not just our future salvation in heaven, but our salvation now and all that we get to experience in Christ, that we can engage him with joy. See, when we don't engage that with joy, it's a, I think it's a simple explanation. Everything else has drowned that out. Everything else in our life is much louder, more demanding, more taxing. Right. That's the only reason it would seem that we can't engage our salvation with joy even in hard times is because we have allowed the hard times to echo louder, louder than our hearts cry for Christ. He says he has made his salvation known to the nations. That is a unique statement to me. He has made his salvation known to the ages. It's a statement that Christ is not a hidden figure even though he is an ignored figure. God has has made him known. Do we know him? Do we want to know him? Do we want to recognize him? Do we want to see him in the shadows? But he's been made known. And then verse three says, he remembered his love and his faithfulness is a Hebrew phrase I've taught you before called hesed. Hesed, hesed is a covenant blessing. God's love and his faithfulness to you and I is not tied to our performance. It's tied to him. We don't enter a contract with God. Salvation isn't a contract with God. Well, if you save me, I'll do this. I'll do this, I'll check this box, I'll do these things. Salvation, it's all from him. There, There is nothing that goes from us to him. It's him that goes to us, all of it. He gives us everything, no preconditions. I am here for you to receive. The receiving part becomes the hard part. Because to receive him, we have to surrender. But his offer is for each of us, for everyone. And that's what he he puts out. It's his covenant. All of his love is sourced by him. And so the enemy likes to play tricks on us with that about earning and deserving and performing, but any of my deserving or my earning or performing should flow out of my joy for my salvation, not in some way to try to maintain it or earn it or, or score some points. Why is that? Because we can't. There isn't anything you and I could ever do that would measure up to that. It's like he's just saying, don't even try. You, you can't. But if you will fall in love with me, you will experience the joy of me. And all this other stuff will just come and bubble up out of you if you will allow it to happen. It's his covenant blessings. He remembered and remembers and remembers and remembers. David is singing this song, rejoicing in the amazing things that he has received from God. And he hasn't even seen Jesus. Jesus won't come on the scene for a thousand or more years. And yet, this is what David is experiencing. So, first stanza, he tells us that joy is secured in the actions of God. And if you can, you need to reflect on what has been his actions in your life. Which ones can you mark and decidedly say those were the actions of God? This is where joy begins. Second stanza is then joy is expressed, and I added a word in here, joy is expressed in exuberant celebration to God. Exuberant celebration. Shout, but we read it shout, right? I don't know if David wrote it shout. I'm thinking David wrote it shout to the, for joy to the Lord. Like there's a shout, like I'm angry at you shout, but that sounds a whole lot more like don't. Don't shout for joy to the Lord. Burst, isn't that a great word? I mean, if it's not your carpet, right? I mean, burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. That's intentional. Make that's an intentional word. Make music to the Lord with harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. David now leads this celebration charge. David never feared showing emotion. He was the nation's king and warrior, but he also recognized he was the nation's worship leader. And he took both of those roles seriously and it got everything there was to him. The famous scene when the the ark enters back into Jerusalem and he's dancing wildly. And his wife at the time was embarrassed And he said, you haven't seen anything yet. I can be much more undignified in your eyes than what you have experienced now. He understood that when he led the nation with exuberant worship, he was seeing things that they hadn't seen, couldn't see. And he saw that his role was to point their attention to that so they could see the joy coming from him over the exuberance of what God had done the expressions. And then when Isaac Watts writes this song, he uses, he uses the language that is volcanic. It's uncontainable. And and David's trying to teach us to allow those emotions to flow, to open up the floodgates of your emotions to God and not be afraid of that, not be afraid of what that can look like to people around you. Joy is never afraid to show itself. Joy comes out of its own expression. True joy, it it bubbles to the surface, right? Too often, God's acts of deliverance are short-lived memories in our lives and they are pushed out by the rigors of present hardship. Too many times we have the what have you done for me lately God approach to him. Now, how do you say that, Pastor? Because if if we can't live in joy in the hard, we really are treating God as an SEC coach. Nine and three is not good enough. Ten and two might be a little better. Eight and four is completely unacceptable. And yet, joy flows out of not what have you done for me lately, It is, what have you done for me? What have you done for me? David's rejoicing in this case is based on God's past performance and him holding very tightly to his future promises, not to his present difficulties. Not to his present difficulties. Here's the third stanza. This one, joy is tethered to an assured future in Christ assured future in Christ. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the river clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This, ex- this stanza expands on the poetry. I love when it says all the earth, and it's actually referring to the earth. I'm, a, I'm not an outdoors person uh, in the sense that I, I, I'm not a camping kind of, kind of person, but if you give me one of those fancy trucks with a towel on top of it, I'm in, right? But, but I'm re- so some people really get energized being outdoors. Any out, you get energized being out and create energy. So th- there's a lot of you, right? It, 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 you hear it differently. You see it differently and you hear it differently. David was an outdoors guy. David had spent plenty of time under the stars sleeping. And so when he writes this, he sees all of earth and all that it's doing and a rejoicing of its creator. And we know from Scripture that that even creation longs, it says, with, with pains of childbirth for his return to be made new because even creation knows it isn't living in all of what he created it to live in. So creation is doing this. It's clapping its hands. The, 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 the babbling brooks are singing. They're not babbling. And he's urging us to, to involve ourselves in that. Romans 8 explains it this way in terms of creation. This is out of the message. It says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We are also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives, in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should look like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son? Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Isn't that a great translation of that? Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one, as an Old Testament quote. And then he ends... None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. He is connecting us with creation and his son. The psalm is speaking about promises that, he, that David has received in the moment and yet still so much more yet to come. But if we can't learn to live with joy in the moment, we will miss out on so much joy. And could it be we will miss out on so much Jesus? That he's there, we just can't see him. And just because we can't see him in it, And just because we can't find him in it doesn't mean he's not there. So back to the psalm, last stanza, last verse. It says, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And I read this verse, and sometimes, most of the time, when you hear the word judge, it's not going to be connected with any kind of celebration or rejoicing, right? Right? Why why would judgment bring any kind of celebration and rejoicing? Um, I would say this. The joy is first that judgment is going to be equally dispersed, meaning there's no partiality. No one's got an inside track. We have Christ. That's the inside track. Everybody's going to be viewed in that regard. The second is that when you are right in the right, righteous, don't you long for vindication? I, I'm loving the progressive, the progressive commercials. Um, the instant replay ones, have you seen that? You know, did you pack the Life Vest? No, you're supposed to pack the Life Vest. You know, I, I'd lo- they, 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 they are clever. They are really, really clever. Instant replay. And I like the part when you said, of course I won't forget to pack the Life Vest. All right? When, you know, I, I was in school for so long, it still gives me nervous ticks. and. And I remember loving going into a class when I knew my stuff, right? When you go to take that exam, and you knew when you flipped that exam over, you got that blue book and you started writing in it, and you just knew that you were just gonna tell, I loved those, mo- that was judgment, right? It's judgment. Teachers like to tell you it's something different, but tests are judgment. Do you, did you do your stuff or not? And I also know the times where I was afraid to turn the paper over, right? When you got it back in the grade, I was, I was fearing fearing that moment. And then there was a few times where I remember walking into classes, classes not knowing we had an exam that day. Anybody else? Anybody else, right? Mm, didn't think that was today, right? And so, although we're not gonna know the time in which Christ comes, this is what we long for. We, we long for his return when we are ready for his return. And in fact, scripture says the delay in his promise and his return has everything to do with grace. That he is waiting as long as he possibly can for more and more people to discover the truth in Christ. So that day will also be more of a joyful day, looking forward to that day. Um, And it is also his final fulfillment of his covenant promise. So the roots of joy are in the remembering of the saving acts of God in our life. Um, We celebrate, those things should bring about a celebration in us of, of joy, looking forward to his final return. So joy isn't a reaction to our circumstances. It is a consistent response to the gospel message. Joy should be a consistent response to the gospel message, not something that's related to the circumstances that, we have, that we're walking through on a moment, right? Because then that would mean then joy would be all over the map. Well, all over the map doesn't describe Jesus. What describes Jesus is consistent. A man of his word. I've said this, I've promised this, I do this. My love for you is based on me, not your performance. This, this is who Christ is. Christ is not all over the map. Wherever you find, wherever we find ourselves, any place on the map, we can find Christ because he is consistently with us, bringing the same thing to us through every circumstance. Psalm 98 is the promise of joy 1,000 plus years before Christ would ever come on the scene. And Luke 2, which we read today, part of what we read today, is the fulfillment of that joy. Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen, which, they had, which were just as they had been told. First, I just love when it says Mary treasured up these things. You got to think that Mary's sitting there after a very arduous journey and a probably a very straining childbirth. Is there any other kind, right, ladies? And she's been living with this promise for nine months. For 40 weeks, she's lived with the promise. And now she has the child. There's no mistaking the promise, right? Right, there was no union with Joseph and Mary, okay? Scripture is very, actually, it's very specific. So there was no union with Joseph and Mary until after the birth of Jesus. So she's got the, she's received the promise and there's the promise. As we read in that scripture, she kept enlarging. And now 40 weeks of running, changing, away from family, She has the baby and you, I've just got to, if you can put yourself in the moment, now what do I do? Now what do we do? I know this is something special here, but I, I, but we're the only ones who know this, right? There's, there's no verification. Come on up team. There's no verification of these facts. They're living with them. And three unannounced shepherds come by, like uninvited from the fields, like no cleaning up and putting on their best sweater, telling you who you got there. Come on, this is big time stuff. The NIV reads, I bring you, the angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. A tighter translation says, I announce to you a great joy. What's the difference? It's subtle. It's not anything to preach a whole sermon about. But one is I got a story that's going to make you joyful. The other is, here's joy. It's not a story that will cause joy. This is joy. This little boy here. This is joy. This is the announcement. The boy, Jesus, is the announcement. The Old Testament prophets had prophesied that Jesus' birth, Israel's history foreshadowed a deliverer, and now Jesus was here. And it was pretty surreal. And that's what I have found to be um, what God's fulfilled promises are pretty surreal. When you've lived with the promise of God for a little while, and then you're sitting in the promise of God, it's pretty surreal. Sometimes sometimes those promises come out with a yeah because it's been it's been tied up in there so long. It's been pent up so long. You've waited so long. It's so big that sometimes it just comes out volcanically. I've experienced some of those, but I've I've experienced many more like I'm doing right now. Sit at that moment and go, Really? You did that? You did that for me? See, the promise of salvation is for all of us. And then God sweeps in at all of our lives and all of its intricacies. And He speaks to us very personally. Very personally. He makes very personal promises and assurance to us. They're very personal. Some in which we can't even, don't even want to share because they just, they seem too far out there or they seem too personal or or too targeted and we don't really know what to do with those and so we, we, we hold those, we live with those and then what about the moment of birth when they're there? And they feel so surreal. That becomes the moments of, of telling. I said that the joy of the Lord is, is in the receiving of him. It's the living in him. But, but boy, the shepherds got caught up in the, in the announcing of him. Right? They were amazed and they were gonna, they're gonna amaze a bunch of people. And that is, it's an interesting bit of history of why an angel would come to a shepherd. It was it was not considered a very trustworthy profession at the time. It had degraded over time. It was a it was a low social standing. Um, in other words, that the proclamation coming from these shepherds, people would have went, yeah, right. so why does god reveal it to the shepherds it's just theory it's not written out one i would say he wanted to recalibrate the role of being a shepherd that this david was a shepherd We're we're gonna we're gonna remake this this whole shepherd thing the second i would say it was a bold statement to say that there isn't anyone that you and I would rank outside of hearing from Christ, neither should we outrank ourselves from being able to hear from Christ. It is in the middle of the pregnancy of where Satan sows his doubt pitch. You aren't worthy and he's not able. That's the lie in the middle that he would sow. And he goes back and forth between those two lies. You aren't worthy. He's not able. I'm wondering if you're there now. Because it's that doubt of his worthiness, of of his love for us unsolicited and his ability. That doubt is a joy stealer. It will suck every ounce of joy out of your life that somehow you aren't worthy. Can, and listen, the, the answer to that is yes, no. I mean, it, we're, none of us are, right? And so when the enemy wants to point to your present and your past to say you're not worthy of the promises of God, the best answer, if you're gonna engage him in conversation, is just to agree with him. You're absolutely right. That completely parallels scripture. I'm not. But boy, he loved me anyway. It's not based on on my worthiness. It's based on his hesed. His covenant. That he chose to be in covenant with us. And the he's not able thing, boy, there's a whole bunch of history that kind of counteracts that one. And I bet you have some of your own history to do that as well. I can always go back to this history. I believe this history. But I've lived some of my own history. Joy is a secured... Reality in God's past acts. It's secured. It's not wishy washy. It's not up for grabs. It's secured. It's anchored. We need to get more attached to joy as a jubilant and exuberant celebration of God's present, past, and present actions. And in fact, as an aside, um, uh, Charles Wesley, great hymn writer, him and John Wesley, founder of Methodism. Charles Wesley, when asked, was he concerned about emotions in church? Charles said, I am more concerned about there not being enough emotions than I am about there being too many emotions. Our faith, ladies and gentlemen, students, is not a cerebral exercise. I'm a thinker. I like to think. I like to parse. I like to pull out. I like to take pieces out and make them fit. I love that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you when my faith came alive is when I learned how to worship. When I learned to allow this stuff to come out and it came out initially just listening to someone play the piano. I mean, I was in ministry. I was married, I was in ministry, and I knew the nuts and bolts of ministry. And yet there was a worship pastor at our church in Texas. And in Wednesday afternoons, he would sneak into the sanctuary, and in all the dark, it was a massive sanctuary, he would just begin playing the piano, not even a keyboard. And I knew of his practice, and so I started sneaking in the back and laying down on the back pew. As long as he would play, I'd lay there. And it started bubbling up inside of me, the joy. I would have never cried teaching students in those days. It didn't happen. My teaching of students in those days, we are gonna have a lot of fun, and you better do what I say. That was, that was, my, that was my motto as a student pastor. We're gonna have a lot of fun, but you're gonna do what I say. It uh, doesn't work today. Um, I encourage you to allow your faith to touch your heart. And it doesn't matter that it looks, the, the expressions of joy, that it looks like one person or the other, but what I challenge you on is to allow some exuberance to hit your body. David writes exuberant words, make, shout, burst, Isaac. Joy to the world is not a song that ramps up. It starts full tilt because it comes from a place of understanding. It comes from a place when Isaac wrote that of something he wanted to help other people understood what he understood and what he had gleaned from David. There was no ramp up in that worship. And then joy becomes an assured future in God's promise that he will come again. I never used to look forward to that. I always thought I was too young, and maybe it's because I'm getting older. Right? I, I thought there was just so much life to live now that I mean I even remember praying. I'd like to get married before you come. Said every single person always. I'd like to have a child before you come. I'd like to do this before you come. I like, but I think the older I get and that stuff gets more in the rearview mirror, it's like Wow, come, Lord, come quickly. And it's not to get out of this place. I like living here. With all the crap that goes on, I still like living here. I enjoy life. I, I, I don't long for Him to take me out of this. I long to be with Him. Yeah. Yeah. To see the things that we can't see now. I like to think sometimes that I'd like answers to all the hardness, and I don't think I'm going to be interested. I don't think there's any time we sit and get a play-by-play where he kind of walks us through, well, I know this really took it out of you, and yet here's, I don't know, maybe, maybe the questions still exist. I'm just saying, I don't know if the questions will exist anymore. I think it's what Paul says, these light and momentary troubles aren't worthy to be compared right? I I think that's the perspective that we'll gain in heaven. Do you want to experience more joy in your life this Advent season? I've got at least here are three things that I encourage you to try to wrap your brain in. One is to not be diverted by a negative past. Negative, hard, however you want to phrase that. To not be diverted by that. The second one to be to not be silenced in a hard present. Don't Don't let your circumstances silence your exuberance, your joy, don't let it silence it. Make a way for it to find some kind of expression. And then don't hear those doubt words without addressing them. Because your future is promised and secure in Christ so what's the gospel message here's here's the gospel message in a simple form this is the good news this is the joy God gave Christ came cross cleansed resurrection raised life received God gave Christ came cross cleansed resurrection raised life received if you're in the middle of a search for Christ for joy that's the gospel message and he's done all the heavy lifting and so it becomes it becomes not based on your worthiness it becomes based on your acceptance will you accept him I don't, pastor I don't know everything there is to know about Christ get in line get in line you only have to understand enough that he loves you that he died for you he did that so that you could be in a relationship with him and that's his offer the point is the reception and then the details get worked out what details how do I do this how do I do that so I'm gonna pray for you in that regard. And then I also wanna pray for you, those who find themselves in the middle. That there has there has been promise and now you're only dealing with the pains of the pregnancy. And I want you to be able to experience joy in that because that's what Christ wants you to experience joy with. When I finish praying, then we're going to sing again. And I, I, I wish I could show you the picture of your faces as you sang joy to the world to start the service because it wasn't pretty. And, and again, I get it. I get it. Sunday morning, it's first service and you got, your are wrestling kids and you're, I, I completely understand, I completely understand that. And I applaud, I, I do, I applaud everyone's effort to make a Sunday gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ a priority. And I understand that those always aren't exciting times, right? There are times you're just doing it because you know, I just know if I get there, things will be different. Can I tell you that now, 70 minutes in, I think they're different, okay? You're, you're, you're even, your response is even to me, your facial expression, right? This is not a big place. I can see every one of your faces. They're, most of you, they're different than how you came in and so let's express some joy there. So Father, in this moment, I pray for those that were watching now that will watch later. Ones who will find this maybe at a whole other time. Lord, that, that they would trust your offer of life and they would surrender themselves to you. That they have run out of other options. They keep running around the same mountain. They keep hitting the same walls and yet you are there waiting to give them the life of connection with you. And I pray that that happens today. And Lord, there's many of us, Lord, that have been wrapped and caught in the middle of something. And yet we begin this church year with the answer. Advent. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they will allow joy to bubble up inside of them for what you have promised, what you are doing, and still yet what you will do. Lord, may it resonate in all of our hearts so that we can tell this story of joy with joy in the name of Jesus, we pray. Stand with me. Let's sing joy to the world. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.